What's up, Donuts? Happy Juneteenth. Even though I know this episode is not going to come out on the 19th, I just wanted to wish y'all a happy Juneteenth. Before I get started with today's episode, I just wanted to get on the mic and let you know that this story has a lot of drug mentionings in it. So if that may be a trigger for you, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, Donuts. I'm your girl, Gina. This is Fried Dough, and this is the story of Falling Angel, the tragic fate of Andre Melendez. what's really happening and somebody said yeah but people also think that he and freeze killed angel so i put obviously mention of a missing person and um wondering what michael knew of what he did the buzz kept mounting and two weeks after that i did my famous blind item called night clubbing which addressed uh, a fight over drug money involving a hammer finishing off pillow ultimately cutting up the body and throwing it in the river on April 12, 1996, a group of children was playing near the water. Then, one of the kids noticed something strange a few yards away. A cardboard box, and it had washed up on the sand. So the curious kids, they went over to the box and started probing the package. It seemed to be securely shut, and it had an awful smell coming from it, which was making the kids sick. So they ran up to the beach to tell some adults about what they found, and the local authorities was contacted. New York Police Department Detective Ralph Jingo responded to the call. The smell almost knocked Detective Jingo off his feet. For a seasoned law enforcement officer, the scent was unmistakably, and he knew just what it was, death. Detective Jingo held his breath and opened the box. He untied the garbage sack that was inside. As he moved the black plastic out of the way, he revealed a decomposed face. He looked further into the box and he saw a man's legless body. Detective Jingo called for backup. The New York Police Department sent the mutilated body to a medical examiner and an autopsy revealed a few keys of information. The corpse belonged to a young adult man his head had been struck three times with some kind of object but blunt force trauma was not the cause of his death he died from asphyxiation or a lack of oxygen the decomposition suggested that the murder had occurred about a week prior but what they couldn't figure out was who this victim was because the victim's face was completely unrecognizable the torso revealed no identifying marks the box could have floated to Staten Island or from almost anywhere for that matter. They allowed this legless torso to sit unidentified while they focused on the entirely different crime. In the spring of 1996, New York police were investigating a man named Peter Gation. Peter owned multiple nightclubs, including the Limelights and Club USA. These bars were home to New York City's club kids. A club kid could really be anybody because in the beginning, it was just seemed to be 
just about self-expression and very little emphasis on the drug side of the things. It was kind of his own society. Club kids were known to throw extravagant parties, often held in unconventional venues and featured performances by drag queens, DJs, and live acts. They embraced self-expression, pushing the boundaries of fashion and nightlife. It was kind of like a big rave with people in costumes, very wild and elaborate costumes. And because celebrities really wasn't coming to these areas where the club kids were, it was really people in the communities who were viewed as celebrities. They were actually called celebutants. The celebritants were like the kind of influencers of today. The club kids would come out in whatever they wanted to wear. They would meet up and then they would just dance the night away. The club kids scene was actually in New York in the late 1980s and early 1990s era, as this was what people preferred to as an underground culture. Former club kid James St. James later described the scene as part drag, part clown, and part infantilism. They were also known for their frequent use of ketamine, also known as Special K. They also used ecstasy, rohypnol, heroin, and cocaine. Some of the names for the club kids were Gitsy, Genitalia, Superstar DJ Kiyoki, Amanda Lepore, Angel, Charlie Dash, Richie Rich, Robert Freeze Riggs, RuPaul, Weight Paper, and then the king of the club kids was Michael Alex. The club kids' outrageousness became a source of interest for the media, and articles about them appeared in such media outlets as Newsweek, People, Time. They also appeared on talk shows like Donahue, Geraldo, The Joan Rivers Show, Jenny Jones, etc. Okay, so remember I mentioned Michael Alec, the king of the club kids? Let's talk about him. Michael Alec was born April 29, 1966, born and raised in South Bend, Indiana. Michael was the second of two boys born to John and Elka Alec. His mother was a native of Bremenhaven, Germany. Then she moved to the United States after marrying his father, a computer programmer. The couple divorced when Michael was four years old. Michael attended Grimson Middle School and Penn High School, where he got straight A's and graduated in the top 8% of his class. During his teenage years in school, he was bullied because of his homosexuality. He graduated in 1984. He attended Forum University in New York City. He studied architecture there. Then he transferred to the Fashion Institute of Technology. There he met the boyfriend of artist Keith Herring, who introduced Michael to the New York City nightlife. Michael soon dropped out of school and began working at Dancer Tina as a busboy. While working at Dancer Tina, Michael studied the nightlife business and soon became a party promoter, and he was very good at it. During this time, Michael and other regular club goers began creating flamboyant personalities, and this became known as the Club Kids.
1988, Michael was hired by Peter Gation, like I said, the owner of Limelight and Club USA. Michael's parties at Limelight were such a hit that he became organizing parties for, for Peter's other clubs. Michael's notorious outlaw parties, which were thrown in various unconventional places, including McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, abandoned houses, and subways. Michael would throw $100 bills on crowded dance floors just to watch people scramble for him. He would urinate on club goers or urinate in their drinks. As Michael's popularity in the club scene grew, so did his drug use. He was arrested several times for drug offenses. In 1995, his boss, Peter, sent Michael to a rehab for the last time. Michael later claimed that after he completed his stint in the drug rehab and was released, Peter fired him. Some of Michael's behavior could be explained by a personality disorder. He reported being diagnosed with a hysteronic personality behavior, which is characterized by a high level of attention-seeking behavior, stating, the doctor said, I was the most extreme case he had ever seen. Everything has to be completely over the top and exaggerated. It worked well for my job. I was a promoter. Angel was a member of the Club Kids. He was also a drug dealer who lived and worked in New York City. Angel was born Andre Melendez on May 1st, 1971. He was a prominent figure of the New York nightlife during the 1980s and 90s. I really couldn't find too much about Angel's life, but Angel and his family arrived in New York from Columbia when he was eight years old. You were able to easily spot Angel anywhere during the nightlife because he would always have on large six-foot wings on him, hence Angel. Angel had become a drug dealer in the 90s after he met Peter Gation the owner of Line Life Nightclub and several other nightclubs in New York City and became a regular dealer in Gation's clubs. So in 1994, Mayor Giuliani's whole goal when he became mayor was to crack down on New York's nightlife and the drugs. So he started focusing on Peter Gation and his club. So Peter stopped allowing Angel entrance to his club because that's where he sold all his drugs. So basically, Angel got fired by Peter Gation. Shortly thereafter, Angel moved in with Michael in his Riverbank West apartment. Michael let everybody move in with him. So, so in 1996, a rumor started circulating around the club kids community that Angel was missing. But how did the rumor start? It started with Michael himself. Occasionally, people would come over to the apartment and ask, where's Angel, while they were doing drugs, and Michael would tell them, oh, I killed him. Michael would also show off some new boots of his because Angel would wear his big wings and some stacked boots, and he would show off his new boots and tell people, you see my new boots? I took them off of Angel after I killed him. They're mine now. But a lot of the club kids who heard Michael saying these things really didn't believe him because Michael was all about promotion. And they would say that they thought that Michael was just getting their anticipation up for a big reveal 
for Angel's return. So no one never said anything to the police. However, at the same time, Angel's brother was looking for Angel. His brother said that he never would go without calling him back or calling him for that matter and just to check in or anything. So he was getting really worried. He went to the police station, but because of the police were so focused on this Peter Gation shut down this club life drug thing, they never took a missing report from Johnny. So what he started doing is started looking for his brother himself. They made up posters and started putting posters up for Angel offering a $4,000 reward. He started going to the nightclubs and trying to talk to everybody who may have known Angel. And he talked to somebody which directed him to talk to Michael. So while he was talking to Michael, Michael was lying to him, of course. And Johnny said he just felt something while talking to Michael. And he just knew that Michael knew something about where his brother was. It was every time he would talk to Michael or when he would talk to Michael, Michael never looked him in his face. He thought maybe because he looked so much like Angel. So what really happened to Angel Melendez? Well, on March 17th, 1996, Michael and Freeze was in the apartment doing all of Angel's drugs that he had. So when Angel got back to the apartment, he found out that Michael and Freeze was doing all of his drugs. Now, this isn't the first time for Michael to have done all of Angel's drugs. At this point, Angel had enough. He never paid him back. So a fight started between Angel and Michael. So while they were fighting, Michael was losing a fight. So when he started losing a fight, he started screaming out to Freeze to come into the room and help. So Freeze runs into the room and he started helping Michael. So both of them now are jumping Angel. Freeze grabs a hammer that's on the dresser, he said. He hits Angel one time in his head. Angel is still going after Michael. So Freeze hits Angel again in the head. Angel slows down, but he's still fighting. Freeze hits Angel a third time and Angel goes down. But Angel is not dead. Angel is still breathing. So Michael, he grabs a pillow and he suffocates Angel. He didn't hit him very hard. It was just like a, you know, like a, a tap like that. And um, it just made Angel more mad. And he just, he had this death grip on, you know, like on my chin, on my, on my, um, on my chest. And I... Freeze says, I, I took a pillow, but I, I thought it was a sweatshirt. I don't even know what it was, you know, that we were just so high. It was just like, and I pushed his face back like that, and he pulled him back, and um, he fell back, and he wasn't moving, and then we realized. After he suffocates Angel and Angel stops moving, Michael starts undressing Angel. We put him in the, in the bathtub and put ice on top of him, and we were thinking that the body is going to smell. And I didn't know whether that happened in two hours or 10 days. Anyway, we poured everything all over him and then on the ice and figured that that would, and it did. The bathroom smelled like, not like a dead body. I mean, it smelled like, you know, clean. 
After Angel's body was placed in a tub and ice was poured on him, Michael Alec decided to grab some Drano and pour Drano down his throat and duct tape his mouth shut. Later, Michael said that he was just trying to keep down the smell. It's hard telling what people would do when they're high like that. I mean, to us, this all made perfect sense that we should do this. So after that, Michael and Freeze, they just left the apartment. And for the next week, they just concentrated on keeping their self high. All I remember saying is, Freeze, we are, it's, you know, we've, it's gone. It's much too late now to do anything, you know. Uh, you know, to even call the police and say, oh, well, you know what, 10 days ago this happened and we just now decided to call you. You know, I said, we are either going to be caught with this dead body in our apartment or we have to, you know, get rid of it somehow. So Michael agreed for 10 bags of heroin from Freeze that he would chop the body up. So Michael decided to cut the legs off of Angel. After doing those bags of heroin that he got from Freeze and put it in a box and they taped it shut. For a few weeks, that box sat in their living room. And when they had company, company would ask, what's that smell? And they would lie. Every day it was something different, the plumbing or whatever. But Michael would tell them that that's Angel. Angel was right there in the box. But no one believed him because he was such a bullshitter. So they took that box down in the main elevator out through the lobby and they went and held a cab the cab driver dropped him off at the hudson river but before he left they asked him for help to dump that box into the river so the cab driver asked for a fee for it for twenty dollars i'll help you they was like okay cool they paid the cab driver to help them drop the box over into the hudson river but while they were doing it, the cab driver asked them, well, what's this? And they told the cab driver, well, these are some old dishes that we just don't want to get rid of or get, give away or whatever the case. They lied to the cab driver. But what happened was the bag with Angel's legs in it sunk. But what happened to the box, because they didn't put holes in the box, the box floated and the current just took it away. For it to be discovered on April 12th, so now Michael's birthday is coming up. It's approaching and Michael is going to have a party himself. He got flyers printed out and the title of the flyer for his birthday, it says blood feast, legs cut off. And there's a person laying on the ground with his brains bashed out. Michael has a fork of some sort of his brains putting it to his mouth. And it says on the flyer, legs cut off. I'm going to try to post it on the Instagram and the Twitter. But Michael later said that those flyers were already made up. So through September 1996, the police still hadn't questioned Michael about the murder. They were too focused on Peter Gation. They wanted Michael to testify against Peter. And since several months had passed, many people thought that Michael was going to get away with it. Because a lot of people, because they hadn't seen Angel, a lot of people started believing what Michael said, but no one never called the police. But in November 1996, the coroners reported the torso had been identified as Angel Melendez. Michael heard of this information and he fled New York, but was located by police in a motel room in Times River, New Jersey. Michael and Freeze was arrested 
and shortly after that, Freeze confessed to the police. I'm going to post his full confession. It's actually five pages long, and I have all five pages. If you want to read the whole thing, it's going to be on the Instagram and the Twitter. But I'm going to read to you what I do have. On Sunday in March of 1996, I was at home in my bedroom with a friend. In the other room, Michael Alec and Angel Melendez were loudly arguing. I, at one point, heard a little crash like glass breaking. Then I heard the argument progressing and getting louder. I opened the door to the room and started towards the other bedroom. I stopped just outside the room door, at which at one point I heard Michael yelling, Help me, get him off of me. Angel briefly turned and said, Stay out of it. Then he grabbed Michael either around the shoulder or around the neck and started shaking violently and banging him against the wall. He was yelling, you better give me my money or I'm going to break your neck or something like that. I remember Michael looking right at me with sort of a pleading look in his eyes. I grabbed a hammer, which was in the closet directly to my left, and I stepped forward and hit Angel over the head. Michael claimed that he killed Angel out of self-defense and helped to dispose of the body in a panic. Prosecutors were hesitant to charge Michael with the first-degree murder as they still hoped that he was going to testify against Peter Gation, who had already been arrested for allowing drugs to be sold in his nightclub. They eventually offered Michael and Freeze a plea deal of 10 to 20 years if they accepted a lesser charge of manslaughter. On October 1, 1997, both pled guilty and were sentenced to 10 to 20 years. While in prison, Michael said, I know why I blabbed. I must have wanted to be stopped. I was spinning so out of control. It was like the old saying, what do you have to do to get attention around here? Kill somebody? While incarcerated in the New York State prison system, Michael was transferred from prison to prison. He also spent time in the psychiatric ward at Rikers Island. In the year 2000, at Southport Correctional Facility, he was placed in solitary confinement after he was caught using heroin. He spent five years there. Michael became eligible for his first-time parole in 2006. His first parole request in November 2006 was denied reportedly after parole officers watched the movie Party Monster, made in 2003, starring Macaulay Coker. And by the way, y'all, Macaulay Coker changed his middle name to Macaulay Coker. So technically, this man's name is Macaulay, Macaulay, Coker, Coker. All right, back to the story. He was again denied parole in July 2008 after failing several drug tests. He was again denied in July 2008 after failing a drug test. In March 2009, Michael said he finally decided to stop using drugs, said he'd been sober ever since. Robert D. Riggs, known as Freeze, was released from prison in 2010, and Michael was released out of prison in 2014. When I see footage of me from back then at, and how flippant and kind of, not exactly mean, but maybe arrogant, um, and it, may, it makes me cringe, honestly. 
There's a time to be selfish and indulgent when you're 20, you know, 25. Um, I'm 52 now, so I think. Two years later, on December 24, 2020, in his New York apartment, he shared with his ex-boyfriend, by a heroin and overdose, Michael died at age 54 years old. And as for Freeze, I cannot find any more updates other than his release date. I couldn't find nothing else on him. And I tried. So with that being said, I want to take this time to thank everyone for listening and for your support and loyalty. Before you go, if you hadn't already, make sure you hit the subscribe button. That will assure you never miss an episode. Also, if you would like to support this podcast, just give a five-star review and share it with your friends. That will help this podcast grow. Don't forget to join our community on Instagram and on Twitter at Podcast and if you have any case suggestions, reach out at Friedo at myyahoo.com or you could just inbox me on Instagram. I'll figure it out. So because I never want to forget the victim and their family, I'm going to leave you with the words of Johnny Melendez, Angel's brother. So until next week, stay safe, stay vigilant, and always, always, always trust your instincts. You know, it hurts me because my brother trusted these people so much. He trusted them so much. What am I going to miss most of him? A lot of things. Small things. He's going to miss. This week's missing person is Angel Lee Joseph. Angel is 16 years old, female, brown hair, brown eyes. She stands five feet, two inches. Angel weighs 122 pounds. Angel was last seen in Garfield Heights, Ohio on May 19, 2023. She has a tattoo on her back. If anyone has any information regarding the whereabouts of Angel, please contact the Special Victims Unit at area code 614-525-3555 or you can contact Crime Stoppers at area code 614-645-4749 or visit the website at www.p3tips.com. Let's help bring Angel home to her family.